Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Good morning, everybody. It is great to see you guys. Thanks so much for being here. I'm going to do a quick announcement before I dive into the message. Megan already did a beautiful job explaining 21 days of prayer, uh, but my wife Leslie and I are very excited to share that with you guys. It's something we've been working on for a little while now, and we're excited to be able to unveil that starting tomorrow. So if you have not already done so, I want to take just a moment and show you how you can participate. You can, it takes all the guesswork out of it. We can have it come straight to your phone starting tomorrow morning and every morning. And uh, all you have to do is text 21 days of prayer to 97000 or you can scan this QR code and uh, hook up that way. Um, or if you would rather not do that, you can go to Facebook or Instagram and check us out there. We'll have the uh, prayers posted there and the, the videos daily. Or you can link us on our homepage. However you would like to do it, we just wanted to make it available and as easy as possible. But please take advantage of this. I really believe that for some of you, this could be very life-changing to learn how to be consistent and have consistent prayer, uh, power in your prayer, and how to pray the scriptures. There's really nothing more powerful that we can pray than the promises that God has already given us, and how do we apply those to our life and begin to pray for those things. That's what we're gonna be doing with you over the next 21 days. So I hope you'll take advantage of that, and uh, that kicks off tomorrow. So today, we're going to wrap up this series we've been in for a little over a couple of months now. What if... Jesus was serious. And we've been looking at some of the most difficult, challenging things that Jesus ever taught that maybe through the years have been the hardest for people to take seriously. But when we do, Jesus promises there is blessing that will come to our lives. There is transformation that will come to our lives. And there's going to be a distinct difference in our lives as we do this. And if you're already a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a Christian today, and you read the words of Jesus, and it, it moves you, and you're like, gosh, I wish more people would take Jesus seriously. Some of you would say, yeah, I totally believe that. Well, I would agree with you, but we have to, if you're in that category, say, and I will go first right? I will be the one to take the, I'll step across the line first and say, and I'm going to start. God, use me to be a leader in this area of taking you seriously. And when we do that, if we've seen over the last several weeks, it's going to radically change our life. It's going to push us to do and to, to trust in ways that we have never done and trusted before with God. And today is no different. Now, we're going to be looking at his Sermon on the Mount. That's where we've been starting. It starts in chapter 5 of the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus is, over the, next, over the first couple of verses, he's unpacking not only the good news of the kingdom of God, but who's invited into the kingdom. And he's opening this category up to people who had never been invited before to anything, right? Jesus is including into his kingdom people, like people who are willing to say, yeah, I'm spiritually bankrupt. Like I got really nothing to offer God, poor in spirit. Like he, he says, those of you who have been brokenhearted by life, you've been devastated, you've been disappointed. Yeah, you're invited. Those of you who have been humbled, 
or, or you or either you've chosen it or it was chosen for you you got humbled by life you're invited you know people who are willing to, to say hey I, I have been the victim of injustice in this world I was wrongly treated you're invited hunger and thirst for righteousness you're invited you, if you've been going through a purifying process, something really hard in your life, God is pruning away some things. You're going, oh, that's hard to let go of, but God has clearly made it clear that I need to let go of some stuff in order for him to help me to bear greater fruit. You're invited. Like, you need mercy? You ever been like, yeah, like, uh, I'm not nearly to a place where I need to be. God's gonna have to give me a lot of mercy for where I am right now. You're invited. Like, he, he's inviting people that we never would have thought. Like, he's inviting people who are willing to say, God, use me to be a peacemaker. We talked about that last week. Even if the people around me are not working for peace, I'm willing to be the one who is willing. To, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep believing. I'm going to keep trusting. Like, am I willing to do that, right? Even through the hard times, even through difficulty, through, through challenges, and then this week, he's going to turn his attention in this number eight, last of the Beatitudes, he's going to turn his attention outward to the world around us and show us that if you live like this, if you take me seriously, the world around you is going to have a particular reaction to you, and it's not going to always be positive, that there are going to be times where they're going to push back on you. There's going to be some blowback because you are citizens of my kingdom and you need to understand there is a conflict of kingdoms. My kingdom is not the same kingdom of this world. So you're going to be operating under a different value system. So I want us to take a look at this verse together, verse 10 of Matthew chapter 5, and he, this is how Jesus begins it. And this is probably the most elaborate. It is the most elaborate of all eight of the Beatitudes where he's going to explain it further, but this is how he begins. He says, blessed are those, Let's, let me first just remind you, blessed means happy, deep joy, deep spiritual well-being. That's what that word means. He says, you want that? Then, then you need to understand this is part of what goes with it. Blessed are those who are, let's say together, are persecuted. Those don't seem like they should be in the same sentence, Jesus. Are we supposed to take that seriously? He says, yes, okay. Blessed are those who, per, who are persecuted because of righteousness, because they are behaving, believing, operating out of a right relationship with God. They're obeying the righteousness and, and living out of that righteousness given by Jesus in their life. For theirs is the, let's say it together, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right. So he's telling us, like, there is great reward here. And now what's interesting, at this next verse, verse 11, he goes from third person, blessed are those, he says, blessed are you. He's talking to me, he's talking to you, he's talking to all of us. He's talking to his audience of his day and this audience today. Those of you who would say, I'm in, I'm, I'm a Christ follower, or I'm considering it, this is something you also need to consider. Verse 11, here's what he says. He says, blessed are you when people, let's say it together, when people insult you. Let's say it together, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of 
me. Now, let me just pause for a minute. Jesus is clarifying. He's saying, yeah, you're being insulted, persecuted, people saying all kinds of stuff about you behind your back, not because you're being a jerk, but because of me. He says, let me be abundantly clear. I love what one commentary says. You're suffering not for being insufferable, okay? You're not being the kind of person that people can just barely be around right now, all right? And that, sometimes people begin to say, oh, yes, I'm being persecuted. Well, no, you're actually not. You're the one who's making it hard on everybody else right now. You know, like, we have to step back, and Jesus is saying, listen, this is people who are saying, no, your life looks like me. Your, your words sound like me. You're, reflect, you're like taking me seriously. You're really living like me. And when you do that, you need to understand there's going to be some pushback that's going to happen in this world. And people are going to insult you, sometimes to your face, sometimes behind your back. Sometimes they'll persecute you, and they're going to say all kinds of evil stuff, and some of it's not even going to be true. It's going to be wrong. It's going to be false. But guess what he says at the end of this? You do all, all this is happening to you because of me. Now, what is the next thing Jesus say? Does he say, now I want you, here's what I want you to do. Go out and like protest. I want you to put an ugly video on YouTube and try to get as many hits as you can, right? Try to like let people know, like I'm just gonna let these people have it because they made it hard on me because I'm a Christian, right? What does he say? In the next part, he says, rejoice, and be glad. One translation says, jump for joy. <laughs> jump for joy. Why, Jesus? Because great is your reward in heaven. Jesus says, I don't ever want your eye to be taken off the ball that this world is passing away. It is temporary. What is eternal is the fact that this kingdom that has been started in the hearts of the people of God will be manifest into a physical new earth and a new heaven. And it will be one and the same. And we will live there together and will be forever. And there are so many beautiful things about it. <clears throat> but he reminds us that that is the reality we ought to be living for. And so many, so many, We've all been caught up in this, myself included, where we get caught up in what we think we want in the moment instead of what we want ultimately. And Jesus here, again, he's saying, be so careful you don't get sucked into that. Rejoice over the ultimate joy and treasure and reward that is waiting for you. For in the same way, I love how Jesus now is just saying, listen, and you're not unique in this struggle, like this has been going on as long as there's been people, right? He says, for in the same way they persecuted the, let's say it together, the prophets who were before you. This is Jesus' way of saying, listen, in every age of humanity, the people of God have always, always had opposition. It has always been hard to live for God. Always. Never has it been easy. What's interesting, just a couple of years ago, in 2016, I need to check my facts to see if it's still current, but in 2016 was the highest year, statistically speaking, for persecution for faith in Jesus Christ in the history of the world. This has not gone away, ladies and gentlemen. Globally, 
people still are being persecuted all the time because they are choosing to live for God. And in this country, it is increasingly going to get, and is, and I know many of you probably have stories, where it has become more and more challenging and difficult to live for God. And Jesus is simply saying, don't be surprised by that. That is not new to your generation. It has always been and it always will be. And it's okay. As a matter of fact, you don't have to be surprised. You can rejoice and be glad because God is going to use you in a great way and he will reward you in a great way. In every age, it has been true. I love what Dr. John Stott, great theologian, brilliant man who's written extensively about the Sermon on the Mount when he's talking about this persecution that Jesus mentions here. I love this little definition that he gives. He simply says, persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. The value system of God's kingdom and the value system of this world. They're going to clash because they're different. And they don't value, they don't prioritize the same things. And because the priorities are different, there's going to be a clash. It's going to be difficult. Now, people, in particular Christians that of our day, today, and maybe you know people, and maybe this has been true of you at times, sometimes think that struggle is the exception to the Christian life. Like, I'm a Christian, like, I'm a child of God, I shouldn't have to struggle ever. And this is the opposite of what Jesus is teaching here. If we're going to take him seriously, he's saying, no, that's, that's normal, like, that's part of this life. But many people, when they go through really hard times, and I've heard it, I've, they've shared it with me, their, their prayer is, why me, God? Why am I going through this? Why is this so difficult? Where are you, God? Are you trying to get back at me? And it's in these moments. Please hear me. Some of you need to hear this. It, when it is so hard and the fire of, of trials is turned up high, it is so tempting to say, I'm out. I'm done. I'm gone. I'm checking out. And it is in these moments that it's so important that we pull close to him and be reminded that he's saying, listen, I never have left you and never will I forsake you. I am right here with you. I love you. Don't let this be the end. And plus, he promises, if you will stick in there with me, there great is your reward. If you walk away, you'll forfeit part of your reward. Now, you're not forfeiting your salvation. This isn't losing your salvation, but there's a reward that your Father in heaven wants to give you, lavish on you. But it comes with us being willing to stand up against the irreconcilable value system that we live with and be willing to do it joyfully, with kindness, with love. So today what I want to do is take that last line of this beatitude where Jesus says that in the same way they persecuted the prophets before you and go back and look at one of the Old Testament prophets that told stories, the prophet of Daniel, who told many stories of the high price that he and his friends had to pay to stand up against a regime or a government that was adamantly opposed to his faith in God. Okay? And so just to kind of set the stage, Daniel, along with some of his um, devout believers in the God of Israel, <clears throat> were conquered by the Babylonian army. They came in, took over Judah, conquered the city of Israel, um, Jerusalem rather, and 
took them and carted them away to Babylon. And now they're prisoners in this system, in this new culture. Imagine for a moment, you have to learn a new language, new culture, new everything, but try to hold on to your faith in the middle of a culture that is not just not okay with your faith, but they are hostile against your faith. And some of you may say, I'm living in Babylon right now. I feel like that all the time. And this, is, this story may pertain to more of you than others, but you may feel like that. But here's what I'd like to do is we're gonna look at this story in Daniel chapter three, and I wanted to share with you two, you may get way more than that, but at least two insights from the prophet Daniel. So let me kind of set the stage. So once they are exiled to, uh, to Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, he decides, and, and many think that it was inspired because of a dream that he had, he decides to make this image, this idol, that was nine feet wide and 90 feet tall, and it represented him, it represented his kingdom. It was a symbol representing that the reign of great Nebuchadnezzar will never end. And those of you who know history think that's kind of funny because it didn't last very long, okay? Anyway, so he makes this huge statue. Now, and to kind of give you a reference point, the closest thing I can find that is uh, in existence today is the Victory Column in Berlin, Germany that looks like this, okay? Uh, and I just show you this because the, the scale and dimensions are similar. You can see kind of people standing at the bottom and how big it is in perspective to them. But it's roughly nine feet wide and 90 feet tall to its base. And it was something like that. It was, they think that maybe it was a column with a statue on top and the whole thing might have been a statue. We don't know for sure. But he has this thing made. He pulls all of his government officials to him and he has this big decree. He's like, hear ye, hear ye, a new law to the land. Anytime you hear the royal band strike up. Come on, band. Na, 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 na. Okay, you hear the band. I want everybody, no exceptions, to bow down and worship my idol, my image, this statue. I want you to pay homage and allegiance to it. And so he sets this up. And anybody who refuses, he says, will be thrown into a fiery furnace and be incinerated, burned to a crisp, to death. So, there's the new rule that, of the land. So, as this goes out, three of the close friends of Daniel that was working in this region, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they're devout believers in the God of Israel. And as you might remember, in the Ten Commandments over in Exodus chapter 20, the first two commandments, the first one is, have no other God before me, and do not make for yourself an image that you bow down and worship, all right? So the first two commandments really put a nix on this whole new world, you know, worldview and, and rule. And so the word makes it, works its way back to Nebuchadnezzar that, hey, these three young Jewish guys are not obeying you. They're, they're, they're just totally just staying standing when everybody else is worshiping. And here's what we're told in verse 12 when they begin to share this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the providence of Babylon, they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and not to worship the gold statue that you have set up. In other words, um, they're not 
doing what you asked. And then it goes on to say, the next part of the verse here, um, the next part, uh, well, actually, the, the principle, the first principle I want to share with you is that God can be trusted even when we cannot predict the outcome. God can be trusted even when we cannot predict the outcome. And here's what happens next. The, the three of them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are brought before Nebuchadnezzar, and they reply, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is, let's say it together, is able, he's able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But they don't stop there. They go on to say, but, let's say this together, but even if he doesn't, in other words, he's not obligated. We don't have like this relationship where God always done. We, we you know, two plus two equals four in terms of like this is a little recipe we're doing and if we can just do X and Y, God always does Z. That's not the kind of relationship we have with him that we're trusting him, but he might choose to do something we have no idea. Even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the, uh, the gold statue you have set up. We are never, ever going to do this. In other words, our obedience to our God is not contingent upon him doing for us what we want, the way we want, in the time frame we want it in. Now, this may not sound accusatory to you and I, but that was exactly the way the Babylonians worshiped their gods. That I'm going to do for this God X, so it will do for me Y. It was a very transactional relation. It was very selfish. It was very self-centered. If I do this, then I expect this. And if I don't get this from you, then I'll go on to another God, and I'll do this for the God, and then hopefully get that back from the God, and make higher and higher sacrifices in hopes that someday it will give me what I ultimately desire and crave. And sometimes people take the same approach with the God of Israel, the, the God of the Bible, today, and say, God, you know, look, look what I've done. I've been so good. Look at all the stuff I've done for you, God. Now, why don't you give me a better life? Why don't you take away my suffering? Why don't you make things easier on me? Instead of remembering, oh my gosh, the breath that you just took is a gift. That heart that's beating in your chest, that's a gift. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you're a Christian today, the gift of salvation, the gift of being a child of God is a gift our service of God is, should always be out of gratitude for what he has already done for us. He is our Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. He provides whatever we need, whenever we need it. We look to him, we trust him, we wait patiently for him. He owes us nothing. And we need to remember that. That's the kind of relationship that the God, a true all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing God of the universe would have, omnibenevolent, all-loving God would have with his people. And this is the kind of relationship you see that they had, the kind of relationship that Jesus calls us into. It's not a transactional relationship. 
And so now that they say this to Nebuchadnezzar, he could not be more furious. He's so mad. He says, heat that furnace seven times hotter than it's ever been. And I want you to bind up these guys. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were tied up. It was so hot, in fact, that the soldiers that were tasked with throwing them into the fire were all burned to death, we're told. They didn't survive it. They throw them into the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar is watching from a distance. In verse 24, here's what happens. Suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted. I see, let's say it together, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a God. Now, we don't know if God sent an angel or what theologians call a theophany as a, as a pre-incarnate manifestation of God or Jesus before he came in the New Testament. It, whatever it was, we can ask him when we get to heaven, right? But whatever it was, they were not alone. In the middle of the fiery trial they were going through, and folks, neither are we. Neither are you. They were not alone in there. And God promises, I will never leave you or forsake you. I am your provider. I am your father. I love you. I don't care what you're feeling on the inside. How many of you know that sometimes your emotions will absolutely lie and deceive you? What you're feeling in the moment is not always accurate. This is why we become living sacrifices by the renewing of our minds, that we constantly put what is true and right into our minds. We're careful to, to, to listen to and, and put into our mind and our eyes and our ears. It is so important what we're putting into ourself, what we're ingesting what we're watching, what we're binge watching, what we're listening to, and who we're listening to. It makes all the difference. Be so okay. If you're going through a fiery trial, be intentional about surrounding yourself with people of faith that will speak truth and love and kindness to you, even if some of that truth stings a little because it's hard to hear. Would you be willing to do that? God promises to never leave his children in the middle of their trials. He will never, ever leave us in the middle of our trials. And I love how this story, plot line, completely shifts when we come to verse 26. This is what the king says. He says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here, get out of the fire, in other words. Then the high officers and the officials and governors and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair, I love the specific detail, not a hair on their head was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. It's like God is showing us you could go through a dark, 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 fiery trial and not go spiritually dark and not be contaminated by the value system of a world that is in rebellion against the God 
who is with you. You can do this. It's so important that we remind ourselves of this. And some of you have been going through a fiery trial. And I know from personal experience, the knee-jerk reaction when you're going through it, and maybe this has been the prayer you've been praying, God, deliver me from this fiery trial. Please get me out of this. And God may be lovingly as a father from heaven telling you, my child, I will deliver you, but it's not gonna be from the fire. It's gonna be through it. I'm gonna deliver you through this fiery trial. And it's gonna be hard, and it won't be easy, and it's gonna feel really dark, and it's gonna be really a challenge for a while. But you need to wake up every morning and say, Father, thank you that you have not abandoned me. You have not left me alone. You are right here with me, and I can draw strength from you. I can just draw love. I can draw mercy and grace, and I have everything I need. The Lord is our shepherd. I lack nothing, David said. Psalm 23, verse 1. I lack nothing because I have him as my shepherd. And it's high time we remember that in the middle of this time. And, and I want you to notice too, which is really fascinating here. When they were thrown into the fire, they were what? Were bound up. They were tied up. When they came out of the fire, they were unbound. They were untied. You've seen it and I've seen it. People go through fiery trials that were, and they may not even admit it or even recognize it in themselves until later, but they were bound up with stress and worry and anxiety and depression and frustration and God takes them through something. They can't even believe they survived. And there is a freedom Spiritually, I have learned to trust God in ways I never dreamed I could. I've heard people give testimony of stuff like that. I was struggling with doubt and despair and through having to like hold close to God through the darkest, fiery trail I've ever been in my life, I've learned he is so faithful and he can be trusted and those people go on to become a light, shining beacon, a trophy of the grace of God, his mercy for others to be able to say, well, if they made it, I can too. And God will use your story to inspire, to help, to be a rescue beacon to other people that God won't leave me alone either. It's beautiful. It's powerful. And you will be blessed to be unbound through it and if God wants to make you free, there ain't nothing that's going to keep you bound up. And God is determined to use over and over hard, difficult, challenging times where your faith is going to come with resistance against this value system of this world. And he, through that, he's going to bring freedom and he's going to bring a deeper level of trust and faith that you've never had before. And the same power that brought these young men through this fiery trial is the same power God demonstrated that rose Jesus from the dead. It's the same power that gave boldness and courage to the, the, the young apostles after Jesus' resurrection. As a matter of fact, it's so interesting that over in Acts chapter 5, this is just a short time after Jesus' resurrection and ascension back to heaven, that these young apostles are being tested now. Are you really going to put into practice? Are you going to really 
trust and cheat what Jesus said and treat it seriously. You're going to really take him seriously. And they had been teaching and preaching about Jesus there in Jerusalem. And the um, Jewish high council called the Sanhedrin called them in held a trial and said, don't you ever speak of Jesus again. They had them publicly beaten, whipped, and then set them free. And in Acts chapter 5, verse 41, we're told the apostles left the Sanhedrin. What did they do? They go and protest? No, they're rejoicing. Why? Because they're taking Jesus seriously. This is a page right out of Jesus' playbook. This is the last of the beatitude. He's like, this is what we do. This is what Jesus, our Lord, taught us to do, to rejoice. Why? Why would we rejoice? Because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, the name of Jesus, day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house. What did they do? They cowered in fear and never spoke of Jesus again. No, they did not do that. They never stopped. Check this out. They didn't even let up a bit teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. He is the rescuer of all humankind. There is no other way than Jesus. And they counted it a blessing. They counted it a privilege to endure whatever that brought to their lives. And they held fast to their faith. And God used them over and over and over. And we're talking about them today. A couple thousand years later, God is looking for a few men and women, college students, boys and girls that are willing to say, and I'll live like that today. I'm going to live like that. I'm going to make those kinds of same kind of tough choices today. Where is your faith being tested today, ladies and gentlemen? Where is it that you're feeling that resistance, that irreconcilable value system clash that's happening? It's happening. It's, if you start living for Jesus, you, you will feel it. You're going to feel it. And, and I just encourage you to hold fast to him. This is why the body of Christ is so incredibly important to hold fast, not give up and to keep praying, to keep seeking, and God has not left you alone. He loves you. Here's the prayer I'm asking you to pray with me today. It's simply saying, Jesus, I will stand with you, trust you regardless of the outcome of my trial. I rejoice in your power and presence to see me through. I'm not giving up. I'm gonna keep trusting. I'm gonna keep walking. And today, I just want you to be open to, would you be willing to surrender whatever that next challenge is to your faith? And you know God is saying, trust me and let's take a step forward. And you've been scared and uncertain. I don't know what people are going to think. I don't know how this is going to play out. I don't know the outcome. It's okay. You don't need to know. You just trust him. You are not alone. He is with you. He loves you. Would you be willing to right now? And for some of you, and a prayer with me, be willing to surrender this to him. And for some of you, the prayer ought to be, I'm giving my life fully to you, Jesus. I'm gonna take a step over the line of faith and become your child. I'm gonna ask you to forgive my sin and be the Lord of my life, starting right now. And some of you have never done that before, and today's the day. You know God is 
prompting your heart right now to do this. Would you be willing to bow with me in prayer right now and use these next couple of minutes to let it be a moment of surrender before the Lord? God, we come before you right now and all across this room, I know there are people hurting right now. They're going through all kinds of fiery trials and those trials are testing their faith. It is testing their ability and their willingness to trust you despite the circumstances, despite the clash with this world's value system. God, I pray all across this room right now and those who are watching online, on the floor, in the balcony of this room, God, right now that you would be willing to give us the courage to say, yes, God, I choose you. Through this trial, I will choose you. I will trust you. Would you just declare that to him right now, just right where you sit, just privately right where you sit. And if you're telling God that, I want to pray for you. Would you just lift your hand, just saying, well, I'm choosing him all over again, all over again. God, thank you for the hands going up on the floor, the balcony, the courage being displayed. I know every single Sunday that we meet, we've got all kinds of people that are hurting. They're going through all manner of heartbreak, devastation, suffering. This life isn't easy. It is hard. But God will use it all for his glory if we will let him. Will you just tell him, God, I trust you and I will walk with you. Thank you for never abandoning me and never leaving me alone. You may lower your hands. Right now, for those of you who can hear me that have never asked Christ into your heart, you, you don't know where you stand in your relationship with Jesus, right now, would you just be willing in a moment of prayer right now to just declare to him, Jesus, I choose you. I want a relationship with the God of the universe. Would you please forgive my sin, come into my life, and be the Lord of my life, starting right now. Forgive my sin, be the Lord of my life. Would you just pray that right now? And if you truly meant it from your heart, you are a new creation in Christ, starting right here this moment. Would you just raise your hand if you just asked Christ into your heart for the very first time? Anybody here asking Jesus into your life for the very first time? God bless you, sir, right here. I see you. Anybody else? Anybody else? giving it all over to Jesus. Father, thank you so much for your love. I pray, God, that you would help us as we take steps today to trust you into the unknown, into territory we've never been in before. And it's scary and it's hard. But we don't have to be afraid because you have never left us or forsaken us. You are Emmanuel, the God who is always with us. We love you, we praise you, we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. Don't forget about 21 days of prayer tomorrow. We'll see you next Sunday. Have a great week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.